0: Hello, and welcome to Are You Going to Eat Your Fat? This podcast is a resource dedicated to those struggling with eating disorders. If you are struggling with an eating disorder or know someone who is, maybe a brother, sister, daughter, wife, we want to be here to provide resources and offer hope. I am Dina Lewis, and I'm here with my husband, co-host Brian Lewis. We are not doctors, but we do come with more than 20 years history in dealing with eating disorder. Whether you found us on purpose or by mistake, Whatever the case, we hope by the end of this episode, you have learned something, or at least, if you are struggling, you do not feel alone. Hi, and welcome to Are You Going to Eat Your Fat? In this episode, I wanted to talk a little bit about value and identity. I dealt with a lot of, like, rediscovering my value and identity in my eating disorder process for a long time I think I was identified by anorexia. It had consumed my life, every waking moment of it. But as I got into recovery, it didn't come back. I didn't discover my own self-identity, I guess, and value right away. But I wanted to talk a little bit about it. As a young adult growing up in my household, my worth was all tied up in how much people loved me, not how much I loved myself. For instance, when I was... Probably out of high school and in college, if I was done like for a break or I was done with classes or for something that I had a day off, I would clean my mom's entire house just to see the smile on her face when she came home. And that filled me up so much. So I guess you could call me a people pleaser, wanting to make everybody happy and kind of ignoring my own feelings at the time. But for much of my life, I didn't really have a voice. With my parents divorcing at such a young age, that was something that I couldn't stop. It was going to happen whether I liked it or I didn't. The rules in my house were very different. I am the youngest of four children. I have three older brothers, and the rules were very different for them compared to me. I'm thinking just because I was a girl. There were times when my mom would be upset, and she was like, why can't you just be like your brothers? And I would say, but I'm not them. I'm a totally different person. I think it was easier for her with boys. And then she got a girl. And not that I was difficult because I was a good student. I was a good person. I think she just had so many fears. She used to tell me, if I can get you 18 and not pregnant, then I've been successful in my life. It wasn't like I had tons of boyfriends or anything like that. But there was always that fear and control over what I did or what I didn't do. It was like she didn't trust me for some reason. I remember my now husband, but then boyfriend at the time, Brian, we were in high school and I had been kissing or something like that. And somebody had told my mom and I literally remember coming home and her taking me out to the backyard and screaming at me and telling me that I was just a slut. And I just couldn't believe it because I'm not representing my mom. My mom was a wonderful person, but the whole sense of I don't know why she wanted to control my relationships and control everything I did. It was very fear-based. I was very dependent upon my mother growing up. I've talked about being in, like, special ed from elementary school all the way through high school. And I never felt like I was capable of really doing anything. I never learned how to write a paper in high school to do anything. I mean, I would just sat there in a room. So college was very difficult. And my mom did help me a lot through school, but I remember having my counselor in high school, and there was going to be testing for the senior class. And they had locked me out of that. And I remember going up to her and saying, you know, hey, I want to be a legal secretary one day. That's what I want to do. And she looked at me straight in my eyes and said, you're not smart enough. You can't do that. And I think that is where some of my self-esteem and depression started coming in because I started to believe it. Even in elementary school, I would have kids call me retard, stupid, stupid. I mean, those are common things that probably most kids are called. But I think because it was so repeatedly said to me that it stuck, like I started to believe it. So those are just some things. So I think for a lot of the time, like cleaning the house for my mom and making her happy, I thought that's what love was. I thought, okay, you do something in order to get love. When we moved to Utah, we joined the Mormon church. And I think, the Mormons all came out and they helped us so much. And I was craving that sense of family, that sense of unity, that sense of belonging to something. And later when we left the church, because it just wasn't working for our family, all these people turned on us. You know, I remember people saying, we're going to look down on you one day and you're going to wish you had listened to us, meaning that I was going to be in hell and they were going to be in heaven. I remember waking up one time and telling Brian, I think God hates me. And he's like, well, then something has to change. And we knew it was going to be something tough. We knew that leaving the church was going to be difficult, just didn't know how difficult. I don't ever feel like I've really fit in with my family. I'm kind of like the black sheep, even though I was a good person. I think because of the age difference between my brothers and I, they always wanted to make a crack like, oh, are you Mormon or are you a moron? And that would always really hurt because there are some good parts To being Mormon. I mean, they treated me like a family, and I appreciated that. There's just some things I didn't believe. So, anyway, it's weird how something like addiction makes us think that the worst things about us are true, and no one can make you feel different about it. You get into that kind of foggy brain, and you hear the messages over and over again in your head, and nobody's going to tell you different because what you've heard for such a long time, that's what those voices would tell me a lot of the time. At my worst, I didn't have a concept of what feeling good felt like anymore. I was so down. I was like, this is where I'm going to be. It got to the point where I was lifting my legs up to go up the stairs to our apartment because I just couldn't pull them up by myself. I'd have to put my hand under my thigh or my leg and pull it up one step at a time. It got really, really bad, but it didn't stop me. You know, before treatment, I couldn't imagine my life without my eating disorder, and then today... I still have issues, but it's not the rat race that it was then. When I entered treatment, obviously, immediately it went to survival mode. We just got to make her live a few more days while we can get her to a comfortable and a good weight. And then later on, it was working on my identity and self-esteem and depression and how to deal with life and what the issues really were that I was dealing with, not the food. I remember... When I was in high school, everybody was very fashionable, but I think because my mom and I were just alone, my mom liked to dress me like her. I didn't really have, again, there's the voice. I couldn't speak up for myself. She was buying my clothes, and I kind of looked like a 50-year-old when I was 16. I'm not sure why she wanted to be in so much of that, but she did. It's easy to believe that your body shape defines your worth. I remember coming home from treatment, coming home for good, And my goal weight at the time, I think it was 124 pounds. I think I was a pound away from being that when I left. And I remember coming home and it was like, okay, I hit the 124 and then I hit the 125 and I hit the 126. And I think it got up to 128. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm kind of the girl like they said 124, literally 124. And I remember thinking like, what's it doing here? Eventually it stopped. I think at like 128. And it maintained there for a very long time. And I had to come to an understanding that that's where my body needed to be. I couldn't be so much about the number. But I did have a freak out moment at the time. Definitely rediscovering yourself is one of the most difficult parts of recovery, but yet it is one of the most important parts of recovery. What I think I learned the most from that was that I did have a voice, that I did have an opinion, that when I came home... I know a lot of times I would share how I was feeling and a family member would say, you can't, don't say that to them. Don't say that to your brother or don't say that to whoever. And I was like, why can't I? I'm not condemning them. I'm not coming after them or judging them. I'm just saying how I feel. If I look back now, I can see that really I'm the one that did the changing. When I came home, everything pretty much stayed the same. Nobody went to Al-Anon. They really relied on me being the one that made most of the changes, except for my husband. He really did investigate and really tried to learn the most about trying to understand what was going on. And I'm not saying that everybody has to go to Al-Anon, but I think it's important to know that I look at it as a family disease, and I think we all play a part. That's not to blame anyone. Brian has an aunt and uncle. Their two kids have been alcoholics and drug addicts. And they, years ago, liked to have lots of parties with alcohol. And I'm just thinking it's really up to the addict to know if that's not a safe place to go, don't go there. But I do think it's the responsibility to know that when somebody's fresh and new in recovery, that maybe don't have that party just yet or have it somewhere else and be there to support them. It's very important to have the support. I think that's why I always have my tribe of ladies that I was in treatment with, not that we or in contact with one another anymore, but what a feeling it was to walk into a room with 12, 14 women, and they understood exactly what I was going through, and they could relate. And that I hadn't had for a good 10 years. Now, I mean, I can't rewrite the past, but what's exciting is that I do have a future, that I can look forward to it. I guess one of my biggest fears right now is that one of my kids would come down with an eating disorder and have to deal with that. And it would be painful to watch, but I'm hoping that because I've been so open with them about my journey, that they can see the value in it of whatever body type they are. I love them. You don't have to be skinny or whatever. You just, you are you. And that they always know they can come and talk to me. Today, my greatest blessings are my five children. I never thought I would ever have had children the way I what I have done to my body. And now I can look back and I'm so very, very grateful for them. Today, I have freedom that I never thought I could possibly have. I mean, I always thought that the rat race would continue forever. It's all I knew. I couldn't imagine it ending. Could I have stopped my eating disorder on my own? Maybe in the beginning. Maybe if I had been more honest with myself. But definitely towards the end, not at all. There was just no way. It was far more than anybody knew what was happening. I didn't even understand what I was dealing with at the time. But I know for a fact that your future self is going to thank your past self so much for pushing through some of the hardest parts of recovery. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. If you can get through detox and stay in treatment long enough past detox, it's going to be hard. There are going to be a lot of tears, and there's going to be a lot of frustrations. But I think you're going to start to feel better. And When you feel better, you'll want that feeling to continue. You are definitely not your eating disorder, and you owe your eating disorder nothing your eating disorder gets no credit for the person you are now. What you've done now and the success you've made is you. Yes, the treatment center, if that hadn't been there and what they did was help me to survive. But ultimately, it was up to me. I'm the one that had to eat the meals. I'm the one that had to follow the program. And the same for you. Every day is a new day. And I really totally believe that an eating disorder does not have to be a death sentence. I believe that you're all worth it, that if I can do it, I definitely think everyone else can do it too. And that's why I've really started this podcast, because I want to give a sense of hope. I want to give a voice, because I know a lot of people out there don't have a voice. They don't know who to talk to, and you're just tired and fed up. And I guess you have to get to that bottom. And I thought I'd hit bottom so many times, but I really hadn't until that last final time. It's just weird how addiction takes control of every aspect of your life. You know, I don't even know if some of my family still forgives me for what I've done. I mean, I'm hoping by my actions now that they can see that I'm not the same person that I was back then. But again, I just want you guys all to know that I'm hoping you guys know that you can come to us, to Brian and I, and ask us any questions. If there's parents out there that need support or just somebody to listen to, we're those people. I'm doing everything I possibly can. I'm not a technical type of girl, so it takes me a little longer with things like that. But I just wish you guys all the very best. I think I'm going to close with serenity prayer. And thank you again for listening to the podcast. After this podcast, I've looked at the statistics and we have hit 601 downloads. And that is just incredible. So that just tells me that there are people that are suffering and that they need our help. And I'm going to do everything I can to provide that help. But let's close with serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. So work it. You are worth it. Definitely. Thanks, you guys, so much. I appreciate you so very much. You really make my day. Have a great week, and I'll talk soon. Take care. Bye. Thank you for joining us. If you found this podcast useful, or we've given you hope and you want to reach out and contribute, feel free to do so at eatthatfat at gmail.com. That's eatthatfat at gmail.com. Our pledge to you is that every penny that we get in contributions goes to production costs and keeping the lights on. We will not pay ourselves, but anything above and beyond production costs will go to benefit organizations that specialize in eating disorders. Please reach out to us if you need resources, or you just need to talk. You are not alone, and there are people who care. Keep coming back, it works if you work it, so work it, you are worth it.